0: Welcome to The Shed Wireless, a podcast for shedders, produced by the Australian Men's Shed Association and hosted by John Paul Young. Yeah, there's something for you at The Men's Shed. Hello and welcome to the Shed Wireless podcast, made in Australia and distributed all over the world for the love of shedding. Today I'm bringing you this special edition of the Shed Wireless from Larrakia land. We acknowledge the Larrakia people, the traditional custodians of the Darwin region and pay our respects to their elders past and present. I also recognise their deep and spiritual connection to the land and sea of Larrakia country. Shedders, I've been on the road in Darwin, visiting sheds and getting to know the place and what a place it is. Larrakia country is indeed beautiful. Here's a snapshot of the adventures I've got in store for this episode. First up is our shed in the spotlight. I spoke to Brian Harvey at Darwin's Men's Shed. Then a spot of fishing. We'll also visit the wonderful Darwin Tourist Facility where you can experience what it might have been like during the air raid's in Darwin back in the 1940s through virtual reality. Talking about crocodiles, we're going to visit some, but we'll talk about that later. And our friend Butch has come up with some tips for travelling on the road in the Top End. You're listening to The Shed Wireless with my good friend, John Paul Young. It's a podcast for shedders across Australia and around the world. Get ready
1: to shed.
0: Here yeah, there's something for you at the men's
2: shed Shed Story. Let's find out more about our shed in the spotlight.
0: For our Shed in the Spotlight this time around, we decided to visit the Darwin Men's Shed where we had a hearty breakfast and some magnificent coffee. The local federal member, Luke Gosling, was there as we took our 30 years of shedding celebrations to this successful local shed. Let's meet the Darwin Shed boss, Brian Harvey. I'm here at the Darwin Men's Shed with the President, Brian Harvey, Brian... Welcome to The Shed Wireless. Thank you very much. Thanks for the invite. Um, you've, uh, this shed's been going about 11, 12 years?
3: Yeah, it's been going for um, just on 13 years now. Uh-huh. So, um, yeah, we've got a fairly um, good group of guys here now, um, some quality tradies and whatever, and um, we try and educate uh, some of the other ones that don't have the skills. Now,
0: you've had... Uh, issues I just you know you had your local member here having a having a chat about uh, uh moving to another place so uh, what what happened there
3: well in 2019 this is actually a government facility um in 2019 we were originally asked to relocate um and as everybody knows COVID kicked us in 2020. Mm-hmm. Um, later on that year they um, gave us an extension through to 2023 which is now passed and we've now got a six-month extension until the end of September. Uh, from then on, I don't know.
0: So, so it's still up in the air as to what's going to happen. And uh, this area here is going to be turned into uh, a youth uh, rehabilitation. Youth
3: hub. Yeah, youth hub. Oh, that's... It's um, The area they're going to use is um, the new youth hub uh-huh. uh, to support um, youth in the area. Um, so hopefully, we're the seniors, we'll get a location ourselves.
0: <laughs> yes, I heard the local member talking about um, an, an area uh, that they're going to set up, hopefully, for you guys. They're just waiting for some sort of uh, official permission.
3: Yeah, that's, that's right. There's um, a place out at Morara um, that I'm working in um, collaboration with uh, the Council of Australian Veterans. Um, we've linked in with them. And try and secure a site out there, um, because we have a number of veterans in our, in our club. And I think we're a good marriage with mm-hmm. the veterans yep. to give them some uh, place to go, yep. um, along with, um, other men. So, and it's an old RSL site. So it's big enough to accommodate everybody. And mm-hmm. as Luke had mentioned earlier, um, that's, that's sort of the location they're looking at. So hopefully the nod will come and we can um, start building out that way.
0: Yeah, well, I I was walking down Mitchell Street yesterday, looking for the supermarket, <laughs> and uh, I saw a guy, probably in his early forties, had a lot of tats, he a very fit looking bloke, and I asked him where Coles was, and he was uh, straight into me. Oh yeah, where are you from? And I told him I was up here for the men's shed, and uh, he said, he said, well, I'm ex-military, he said, and no, I've had some issues. You know, with uh, with mental health, he said, uh, he said, you blokes just do a wonderful job. You know, and that really heartened me. You know, to hear that it's uh, it's just a wonderful thing. You know, that, that um, the men shed do, and uh, and you've also here at this shed uh, involved involved younger people.
3: Ah, uh, yeah, we have. Um, we've had a, a mother um, bring yeah. her son son here um, to try and interact with men. Mm-hmm. So. We taught him how to use um, basic tools because he had no skills in that area, and within six months he was able to put, um, I'll say, a possum box together by himself, which was an achievement for him. Yeah. Which might sound a little thing for some people, but it was a big thing. And he ended up getting a full-time job. So, And we've had a, um, an older gentleman at the same boat, he come in and said, "I'm I'm in a bad way. So after about... You know, two or three months of being here, he started opening up. Has to be one of the funniest men I've ever come across. And he'd come in and he'd be starting cracking jokes and whatever. And again, six, seven months later, he got a full-time job. You can't ask better than that.
0: No, you certainly cannot. Uh, I, uh, I asked our chief, one of our executives, David Helmers, uh, about what the, the Men's Shed had achieved so far this year and uh, his answer was quick, and. Uh, Saved lives. I think it's uh, it really is a, a marvellous thing that men should sure do, and I, and I wish you every success, Brian. I uh, and I hope the, um, the permission comes through for your mm. your big move, and um, and it's great to hear that uh, you're getting involved with with veterans as well, and and with younger people. So mm. well done.
3: Yep. No, we're we're actually looking looking forward to it. Um, you go to a, a purpose-built facility, which allow us to expand and support more men and the broader community but it will also help us deliver programs that we tried to implement in 2020 um, was um, general maintenance um, work for women and for youth how to use tools around the home to look after jobs around the home and i'm hoping to get those programs back up and running when we're in a new facility
0: well done brian harvey the uh the, the head honcho here at the, at the Darwin Men Shed. Thanks again,
4: Brian.
3: No worries. Thanks very much. Hello, I'm Sean McAuliffe here, and you're listening to The Shed
4: Wireless with John Paul Young. But you already know that, don't you? I mean, obviously, you've, you've already got this set up on Spotify. You've, you don't need me to tell you this. Take it away, John.
0: Is yeah, something for you at the Men Our fishing adventure starts early when we meet up with Trav and Kai on board the Why Not Fishing Charter. We had a 40-minute run out to the reef, a bit bumpy but worth it. The lads put us on a great patch of fish, mostly we caught the northern mulloway or black jewfish as they are known up there. Trav and Kai knew their stuff, when the fish went off the bite we were gone. Off to the next spot and this time catching the most prized eating fish up there, the finger mark brim or golden snapper. I can't tell you enough how fabulous these fish are on the table. After catching our quota we headed back and this time it was really bumpy head first into a stiff sou'easter, easter hanging on to anything solid on the boat. Sitting was not an option. While on board, I spoke to Kai about the money fish that can be caught in the Darwin area. Well, here we are, we're in the Arafura Sea, just off Darwin. Why not fishing charters? Uh, A bunch of doubtable people fishing. We've got uh, Trav the skipper. And Kai, the overqualified uh, deck hand. Yeah, oh, yeah. I guess you could say that. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> well, yeah, a lot of people don't know that uh, they tag and release barramundi.
1: Yep.
0: Off here, and uh, you've been a bit of a Superman when it came to catching these fish, haven't you? Oh, I wouldn't say Superman, but yeah, I've been lucky. Been lucky with two of them. Yeah. Yeah. How much? How much did you get out of that? I got thirty grand out of the two fish out of two bars, so There's no <laughs> complaining after all the dark. That. Uh, yeah, oh, that's fantastic, and uh, Kai does everything on this boat, apart from drive it, of course, that's Trav over there, he, he drives the boat, and uh, he's been baiting up the hooks, getting the fish off the hooks, and what have we got here? Now we've got a few bits and pieces, we've got a few muffins and chips, and another... if you get real hungry we've got some raw fish. Yeah, and a bit of squid. Oh, all that sort of good stuff. All that. Well, thanks very much, Kai. Uh, obviously, like I said, you're an overqualified deckhand as far as I'm concerned. Well done. Uh, thank you. Thanks for coming out last thank today. So. No worries. The Darwin Tourist Facility was our next stop, located on the main wharf in Darwin. This was the scene of many Japanese air raids in World War II. Noni Romano was our contact, and we were shown around this incredible facility. You really must visit this place if you're ever in Darwin. The Royal Flying Doctor Service are the ones that run the whole show. I'm here at the Darwin Tourist Facility, run by the Royal Flying Doctor Service, and I'm uh, going to talk to... Noni Romano, all about this amazing place.
2: Yes, hi. It's good to see you.
0: It's um, it is absolutely mind blowing. I I just that's my first virtual reality experience, and I've just had two of them in one day. Yes. Um, it it really makes you think. This place, it uh, it takes you back to that awful reality of uh, of the bombing of Darwin. I mean, to think I didn't know that. It was aerated over 60 times. I think most people thought that it happened once. Um, how long has, has this been opened? It's, it's an incredible facility.
2: Well, thank you. It's uh, We opened in June 2016, so i come out to seven years now, and we tell the two stories about the Royal Flying Doctor history as well as the bombing of Darwin, as you just mentioned.
0: Yeah, well, I, I, I did the Royal Flying Doctor VR as well, and uh, that brought back memories. I had, I had a friend and uh, used to do a bit about that flying and uh, just being able to sit in that airplane and, and look out the window and see all the things that I used to see when I went flying with him it brought it all back um, and that um, the the patient uh, what she, uh, he had to be charged how many times
2: fifty four times from Alice Springs to Adelaide. It's amazing.
0: It really is. And and the, the, the calm demeanour of... Uh, of the, Was she a nurse or a doctor? Yes. A nurse. Well, the calm demeanour of her was just incredible, you know, and I, I can't... Um,
2: it puts things in perspective. When you see the space that the crew work within and what they have to do, um, it's just remarkable.
0: And they just stay so calm. So
2: calm. There's no other option.
0: No, that's fine. Right. <laughs> So what does your, your work day consist of here?
2: Well, I'm the manager of the tourist facility. So I'm on the floor at times, which is greeting groups and the people who walk in on a daily basis and then the external stakeholder relationships as well.
0: Now, we are actually on the spot where this wharf was bombed in uh, 1942.
2: 19th of February 1942, the first air raid happened around 10 o'clock in the morning and that was here on Stokes Hill Wharf, so this wharf where you are now was destroyed and then it leads on up into Darwin City where there was further bombing.
0: Reading the encounter of uh, a couple of the, um, I think it was the Qantas people trying to rescue the flying boat uh, camilla.
2: camilla
0: uh it was it's just so riveting, you know as, as you're reading it you you're there with them you know with their problems and uh, and you know the uh, the boat breaking down and, and getting water in the bill and then having to fix it while all of this is happening around them it's it's amazing oh
2: it's completely amazing and it really hits home that it wasn't long ago, but this is Australia's history, and we really try to bring that connection to everyone that's
0: visits. Yeah, and I think that's uh, that's the feeling that I came away with as well. Uh, you think you know this country, but you see things like this, and you you don't you don't you don't know a hundredth of, of, of the history of this place, and uh, you know it's uh, it really brings it all home to, in, in this one building. I think it's just marvellous.
2: Yes, Darwin's full of little secrets. You've got to know who, and I'm glad that you found us today.
0: So how did the Royal Flying Doctor Service become involved in this facility?
2: Well, we are one attender from the Northern Church of Government to activate this space, and we really wanted to make our presence known in Darwin and the Top End.
0: Yes, some of the statistics on the, on the VR display, um, 24 hours a day, all weather, you... Uh, Operate from the Queensland border to the West Australian border, and he mentioned somewhere north that I didn't—I uh, didn't know that the northernmost part um, of uh, of the territory uh, down to Adelaide. It's—it's so it's an awfully. How many aeroplanes are are there servicing this?
2: Well, we now have over seventy-eight aircraft across Australia wide, over twenty-three meta- aeromedical bases
0: that is amazing you know it's it's a wonderful wonderful service and i'm sure that you know that uh, the ones who benefit from this the, the people in the remote areas are very much appreciative
2: well it's not just remote people that can benefit from the royal Flying doctor service one in 20 people that we have a patient contact with have a metro postcode so think of people who are traveling the road and they have a metro postcode and we assist them
0: well, it's, it's an amazing service and, uh, Australians are very, very lucky to have it <laughs> because, uh, I couldn't imagine this place surviving, you know, anybody away from the main city, uh, like you say, even travelers, uh, how would you survive without it? So it's, uh, from, uh, from one Australian to another, thank you very much. <laughs>
2: thank you so much.
0: <laughs> thank you very much, Tony. It's been an absolute pleasure. G'day, you Mob. This is Ernie Dingo, and you're on the Shed Wilds with my mate, John Paul Young, or JPY, or I don't know what other leathers we're going to call him. But don't forget, fellas, if you don't have a hammer, use a screwdriver. Here's something for you at the mansion. It seems that opinions on crocodile jumping tourism are widespread. We were told that our destination for the Crocs was about an hour and a half out of Darwin. And then somebody said, no, no, it's much further. Off we went with what we thought was the correct GPS coordinates confidently passing two crocodile jumping cruisers, convinced that they weren't the ones we were supposed to be at. As the time ticked on and the 130 kilometer road signs appeared we realised that we'd gone too far. So after chucking a Yui and heading back, we missed the cruise. So instead of being on the crocodile cruise, we had a lovely chat with Tony Blooms, the man that started the tourist attraction many years ago. Tony, there's, there's two quite close to each other along here. How, how did that happen?
4: Well, it, it's not that I would have allowed it. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> As you can well imagine. However, the, back in the days when the Northern Territory was a different place totally and the government was here to help you. right? And they, and they actually did. They, we were operating for about five, six years already here. You know, just off the riverbank sort of thing with a jetty out the front. And the government fellows walked in one day and said, hey, fellas, you want to buy some land? So we said, "Yeah, yeah, okay. So what they did They split up into two blocks, and they they sold one to me, and they sold the other one to a competitor. Oh. Yeah, not very good, is it? No. Uh, The government's like that. I bought the land, and the competitor bought the land. We survived, the competitor went broke, right? And in the end, we bought his land off him. In the meantime, he built a house on it, and a little bit of an office, and, you know, they had a few facilities. Yeah. So we were right there, next door with our competitor, and suddenly we owned the competitor. Woohoo! That was good. Yep. We really enjoyed that. <laughs> so we went for a holiday, went round the world for a holiday. After yeah. that, we, we reckon that was we had a hard time. Yeah, here. Yeah. So anyway, uh, you can see what's here now. I yeah. mean, we've been here 38 years totally. Yep. And that's what I say. At the time, the government was really helpful, yeah. and seriously, they were good. Yeah. Things have changed. (laughs) We won't go into don't go into the politics. You know. But uh, but yeah, so here we are. We've got we have the name, Jumping Crocodile Cruise. We have everything there belongs to us. But everybody and and it goes to show you how useless the law is, because a business name is worth nothing. Uh Absolutely worth nothing. You know, I can go anywhere and and just dodge bullets if I want to call myself Coles Meyer. Sure. You know, I'll dodge bullets. Yep. But in the end, you know, it ain't worth the effort, it ain't worth the money.
0: Mm-hmm.
4: And we figured that out, said, okay, no worries, we compete. And we compete at a very high level here versus there. Yep. You know, our facilities have, I mean, over the years, we've spent nearly $5 million. Yep. Yeah. We've just built two new boats last yep. year. So there yep. was just under a million dollars there. Yep. So we put the money back in the business and if you look around, it's pain plainly obvious. Mm. Yeah. Uh, so. so how
0: how did the whole thing start? Was was this a small business that you took over thirty eight years ago or did you start everything from scratch?
4: No, no. I, I I started life I had an engineering business in Darwin and yeah. At one stage there, it was probably one of the biggest fabricators in Darwin, steel fabrication. Uh-huh. And it sort of ended up that my uh, good friend here decided, he said, yeah, the Adelaide River, this was at Christmas, mind you, yeah. and there wasn't a soul in town, because all the public servants used to disappear in those days, yep. you know, it all go down south, and nobody nobody's in town. So he said, you know, he said, I think we should start a cruise on the Adelaide River. And I said, we'd better have a look first. Now, him, him and I were both grossly overweight at the time, and I mean seriously overweight. We were big guys, yep. you know. <laughs> and he brought his dinghy, and he hopped in the a little dinghy. It was a little three-meter punt. Yeah. And we went out there and drove up the river. Now, the crocodiles, even at that, there wasn't as many because they just stopped shooting them a year or two yes, earlier. I
0: remember that time. Yeah,
4: yeah. right. But there were still crocodiles there, and we were uh, halfway up the river, and I thought, this is dangerous. (laughs) What are we doing here? (laughs) But anyway, we went ahead. We built the first boat. We built the shore facility. But how did you discover that they would leap up at the baits and and, and be spectacular? It was sort of interesting in a way because it was just a challenge. We were all all idle, post-cyclone. There was a lot going on. You know, and there was plenty of money around, and uh, the politicians had plenty of money too. But well, we didn't have politicians in those days. In actual fact, we had, we had the old, the old government, which was just, you know, it was different, yeah. totally different. So bureaucrats, yeah, yeah bureaucrats ran yeah. the show. Yeah. So and and I, I I tell you what, it's not often I talk well about bureaucrats these days, but yeah. in those days, I give them a lot of cre- credit, okay. a lot of credit. Yeah. You know, and so. So anyway, we built the boat, you know, and we built the facilities and then we went out and we made a little flyer up because we didn't have no photos or anything at that stage, you know, and we made a little flyer up and we put it out in the market and no one turned up. (laughs) 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 And it went on for a while like that. Yeah. And uh, then we finally started to get one or two customers and stuff like that, you know, and uh, anyway, it went... You yeah, know, it flew along. Word of uh, mouth. Word of, well, word of mouth. We needed a lot more mouths to, <laughs> to yeah. be working. But how, how, how did you
0: discover that the crocs would leap out of the water? Was that by accident? Or? No, it wasn't by accident. No. Well, we who, who, Whose brilliant idea was that?
4: Well, my, my partner, I bought him out in the end. Uh-huh. Uh, all he wanted to do was sit on the jetty and fish. Uh-huh. Right? Whereas well, I was a bit more interested in getting some money back for the business. Yep. So, I did that. He fished. <laughs> so I got rid of him. <laughs> and uh, and I thought to myself, I was out on the boat. I didn't. I don't. I can drive the boat and I can do all the, everything there. But I don't in this day and age. But in that day and age, I used to now and again. But we used to try and employ people. So we did. We had a couple of skippers and blah, blah, blah. you know how it goes on. And. and And I thought to myself, "Eh, you know, the cruise, like, if you go on this river, there's really nothing much to see. It's not like Catron Gorge, where you've got great cliffs and all that sort of stuff. Picturesque-wise, it's nothing, you know. So, and then we saw an animal and we got the animal to come to the boat. And then we talked to it nicely enough to get it to have a bit of a lunge. Mm. we thought, well, if we can teach this sucker to, yeah. to jump, and we yeah. did. Well, then we, we ended up with one crocodile that would come to the boat and jump. Yep. And people loved it. Yep. So what I did then, I thought, so it took us a couple of years to get about eight crocodiles to come out of the system yep. that would work for us, mm. so to speak. So we did that. And then I thought, you know, smarty me at this stage, I thought, what we need to do is promote this a little bit better so we went on tv and we i actually went to a company bar Woolard, course so professionals in the game in marketing you yeah. know and and creative stuff they came out and they did a day's filming they did a tv ad they put a new brochure together and all this sort of stuff you know yeah. anyway the tv ad went to air the town went berserk absolutely berserk every fisherman was going to get eaten and oh. people were going to die all over the uh-huh. place and we shouldn't be teaching crocodiles to oh to jump God. or anything like that and at the same you while these people were demonstrating against us there was a queue line lined yeah, up trying, exactly. trying to get on the boat yeah yeah <laughs> you yeah. know and we've done that ever since yeah. We, we've developed that. We've made it work a lot better. We've got a lot more facility and better boats and mm. all that sort of thing all to do with the customer. So you
0: were the original one? Yeah, we're the original. You're the original one. Yeah, no, that's no. that's great. I mean like this is this is a, an absolutely fascinating story. I'm really glad you uh, consented to having a chat to me. Uh, it's it really is um, um uh, there's there's really not much you can do about the confusion of everything, is there, around the place? You know, with the, um, the Adelaide River Queen being the name of the boat and, you know, it's... Uh,
4: well, a boat, when we first named the Queen, you know, we had a, this little talk about what do you call a boat? Mm-hmm. And a boat has to be a woman yes. name, you know? So it had to be a woman. So it was obvious, isn't it? Adelaide River, that's where we are. Yep. Queen is the boat. The African Queen. So Your I, version. Yeah, our version. Yeah, so, <laughs> so, you know, the, the name worked all right. But you've got to remember now, we've been here 38 years. Yeah. We're well established. Mm-hmm. And and people yep. do know us, but people yep. do make mistakes. Yep. You know, and they're geographic. Exactly,
0: you know, exactly. And and
4: it doesn't help that your GPS runs out just up the road
0: as well. <laughs> yeah. Tony, thank you so much for having a chat with us. You're and are welcome. Uh, yeah. we'll, we'll get this on our podcast and, uh, and good luck to you.
4: You've done a wonderful job here. Thank you very much. Pleasure. Nice to see you all.
0: Now, I'm not sure, but I think I caught more fish than Butch did on his trip up north. But speaking of Butch, it's time to go on the road with the man himself, once again,
1: on the road, on the Shed Wireless.
0: Well, as you know, I've been to Darwin and back and uh, I'm about to talk to Butch on the road because he's been to Darwin and back quite a few times as well.
1: How's it going? Uh, great. Thanks, mate. Good to talk to you again. Um, it's the season for the Grey Nomads. You've already started on your Grey, grey Nomad trip. <laughs> I'm about to do <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. In, in
0: an aeroplane. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, well, I'll be flying too. But what's So what, what? did you end up catching in Darwin?
0: Well, uh, we did what you would call skull dragging. Being a you being a purist fisherman these days, um, I uh, we went out uh, on a charter, and uh, uh, it was called Why Not Charters. And uh, we went out there, and uh, we had a. We had a great day. It was, uh, it was very, 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 very windy on the way back, punching into a, a Southeaster, but, um, but it was well worthwhile because uh, we caught a lot of fish, a lot of, uh, a lot of soapy black dew and uh, enough um, finger-mark brim to keep me happy <laughs> that, I, that I managed to snaffle and, and get home. They are, without a doubt, the best eating fish.
1: They're the best eating fish of the lot, I reckon.
0: Yeah, absolutely. They leave barramundi for dead.
1: Oh yeah, the are hugely usually overrated when you when you fish in the tropics and you get all those um, the redfish, all those different red emperor and your and your coral trout, your finger mark broom, your all those uh, mangrove jacks, all those sort of things. They leave barramundi for dead. It's yeah. just the fact that barramundi now are so uh, available due to farming that uh, most. Uh, Fishmongers around all around Australia and restaurants serve them because simply because they're relatively cheap and um, very li- readily available. So, well, especially you
0: know, now that they, they, you know, they're they're heavily farmed.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Oh yeah. Any any barramundi you get now in the fishmonger or restaurant, you could almost guarantee it's not a wild caught one. But I think, mm, I think they're okay. There's nothing wrong with that because uh, if they're wild caught, they'll initially get. You know, netted out because the only way to catch uh, barramundi uh, commercially is with with nets in oh, the mouth okay. estuaries. And um, the, in Darwin, in, in Northern Territory, they've been very smart because they've stopped all that netting in a lot of the rivers uh, mm-hmm. because they realise the value of barramundi as a as a resource for the grey nomads and all the other tourists that go there. They mainly go there's Northern as a sport as a
0: sport fish, you mean.
1: Yeah yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. But also, you know, you can keep the odd uh, saltwater barrel when you're up there. There's no no ban on it, but um, I mean, th- the numbers are restricted. But I mean, mm-hmm. they They just you know allow people to go up there and say, oh, "I've caught my first barrow Monday and you say, "We're mm. oh, the Northern Territory." Oh well, everyone goes up there. But you didn't fish for Barry; you just went off- offshore in deep water fishing, did you?
0: Yeah, that's yeah, that's correct. We were, you know, oh, I suppose. Um Forty, forty minutes. Uh, forty minutes to an hour. Um, run out uh, out into the out into the into the darkness, as it was. <laughs> but it was it was great, you know. Like if, if we didn't catch anything within uh, five, if the guy was certainly cut out of your Butch, butcher. We didn't get anything in five or six minutes. We were gone <laughs> and off to the next spot. <laughs>
1: yeah, well, that's that's the way you operate in the tropics a lot because. Um, they, he would have had a whole lot of marks where he would have had uh, um, reefs or wrecks or something. And you right. just idle up to them, have a look around, look at your sounder. If there's no fish there, you move on. If there's fish showing, you, you test them out, see if they're of legal size and what they are. And as you found out, you found some beautiful finger mark. And, and
0: yeah. they're a schooling fish, so you would have been right onto them. Yeah, well, you know, as as uh, as luck would have it, I did not catch one finger mark broom, but the bloke next to me did. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you were on the wrong side of the boat. Well, ex- well, no, he was on the same side, uh, and I, I also lucked out because of because of my uh, eczema problems with my fingers. You know, he was uh, he was extremely kind and uh, and baited my hooks for me. You're going to love this. <laughs> Made it all. By, all the blokes were complaining about the smell on their on their fingers after the um, after the, the the jaunt out there.
1: But I, I amazingly, mine smelled like roses. Yes. Well, that brings me back memories when we fished together a lot, John. I mean, I can't remember you ever putting your own bait on.
0: And uh, we won't be talking any more about that. Thank you very much.
1: Did you, did you end up using any live bait? Did they, would they only have um, pilchards? And,
0: no, uh, no, like it was all... Uh, it, it was squid and pilchards and things yep. like that. Um, yep. And, uh, of course, uh, if we caught a, a decent bait-type fish, then uh, that would be dispatched. And, uh, and on the bait board, within seconds, uh, our deckhand, Kai uh he was uh, a bit of a gun fisherman a bit a bit uh a bit like yourself in the younger days mate he caught two barra uh cuz i think it's sports bet has uh, a whole thing going on up there with barramundi worth money uh he caught one worth $10,000 and yep. then promptly caught another one worth $20,000 wow in the last month so
1: he's doing it
0: Definitely a, an overqualified deckhand.
1: There is um, apparently there's one up there worth a million dollars tagged. So that was
0: my Darwin trip. Now, any uh, any tips for anybody heading up north?
1: Oh, well, there's 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 a heap of tips. It it sort of depends on whether you go like you did, where you just turn up without any gear and you rely on the the charter to supply everything. Now, yeah. when I go away, I tend to take a lot of my own gear because. Basically, I fish uh, with lures and therefore I'm I'm very familiar with what lures I want and need up there and Mm -hmm. they may not have it. So I take a lot of my own gear. Um, I take a couple of rods, sort of um, one that's about 20 pound, what you'd rate 20 pound, and one about 30 pound. That seems to cover a lot of the bottom fishing and it also covers Mm -hmm. what I like to do is uh, cast surface lures to um, some of the surface fish there for Example, tuna, um, yeah, queenfish, all that sort of stuff. And I don't know if you saw any bust ups on the way to and from your spot. Um, but if, if the, no, we didn't know you didn't see any, okay, yeah. So th- it might be the season for the tuna up there at the moment, but they're there are northern bluefin tuna up that way and they don't grow like it. We used to catch the big yellowfin down here in Sydney and uh, mm. they only grow to about 20 kilos, but they're good fun on light gear. So I always get yeah. carry a rod ready to. Cast it to a school,
0: and I suppose you know the golden rule up there is: uh, if you get snagged, don't go in after your lure.
1: <laughs> no, there's crocs and sharks. We know that. Uh, unfortunately, somebody went in after a lure around Cooktown only a couple of months ago, and they disappeared. The only oh. thing, only thing left on the bank were his, were his thongs, and oh, I mean the ones you wear on your feet.
0: Yes. I oh, know exactly. And on that note, yes, thanks a lot for that uh, quick uh, quick chat about Darwin and and all things. We're going to come back and uh, and do another chat with you very soon, because you're heading uh, you're heading out to the Kimberley. So yeah.
1: yes, I am. Hold
0: that thought, Butch, Hold that thought, and we'll speak to you very very soon.
1: Okay. Thanks again. Okay. Bye. okay. Talk to you soon. Bye. Bye.
0: Well, what an adventure that was. We really did have a great time up north. Now, do you think we should go on another adventure? Please say yes. Where to next? Send me an email, theshedwireless at menshed.net. Share this podcast with your mates. They don't even have to be shedders. Give them a hand to subscribe if you can or send them to www.menshed.org forward slash theshedwireless. Until next time, folks, for the love of shedding. your game everyone's the same yeah we can do it all at the men's shed short fat tall skinny hairy ball in the shed it's welcome one and all share the skills you know we're all having a go there's a helping hand in the men's shed